Hi, I'm Tom Wren. Hi, I'm Emily Stenigan. Hi, it's Keith Bradshaw. Hi, this is Holly Evans. I'm Ben Hook, and in conjunction with Sport SA and the Breakthrough Mental Health Research Foundation, this is Hooked on Sport. Hi there, and welcome to a special bonus edition of the Hooked on Sport podcast. With the buoyancy around the nation over what appears to be some success in the fight against COVID-19, we decided it was time to step through some of the challenges still confronting sports clubs and leagues as they actively consider the beginning to the winter sports season. To walk us through that process, the Chief Executive Officer of the South Australian National Football League, Jake Parkinson. Established in 1877 as the South Australian Football Association, the Sandful, as it is now known, is the governing body for Australian rules football in South Australia. As a professionally run league that doesn't require domestic travel to operate, in a state with heartening COVID-19 statistics, the Sandful may be one of the first sports competitions to be given the green light to resume. Jake Parkinson joins me next. Hi, it's Keith Bradshaw, Chief Executive of the South Australian Cricket Association. Looking forward to listening to Hooked on Sport. Jake Parkinson, thank you for joining us on Hooked on Sport. Uh, Pleasure to be with you, Hooky. Jake, after everything that's gone on in the last uh, six weeks, uh, do you ever look back to the former career? Might have been a bit easier selling beer. Oh, yeah. Uh, I haven't done. Uh, I have enjoyed a couple of beers at the end of a few hard days, I can assure you of that. (laughs) Uh, the uh, the West End draft has been nice coming out of the fridge at home, but um, uh, no, I haven't. I, I've been uh, I, I've been so lucky to be to be in the uh, the football industry or the, around football for so long. Um, and uh, yeah, the Brewing game was a different time in life, and no doubt they're faced with their own challenges as well. Without uh, any of those um, pubs being open, uh, that was always the fun part of that job was going out and seeing your mates out at the pubs and. That can't happen right at the moment either. So, uh, no, footy's been fantastic for me. Jake, and we'll, we'll declare here, it is April 20. So, at the moment, the numbers with regard to COVID-19 look heartening. Are you starting to feel a little bit buoyant about the possibility that we'll see some football in the not-too-distant future? Yeah, that's a good question. I I've been buoyant for the last couple of weeks. I, I have to admit to everyone, I, I was starting, like everyone, to feel a bit down as we saw COVID-19 just doing just horrible things around the world. Mm. Uh, you think about the number of people that have died and, and the families impacted. Um, you know, the, the impact is so broad and um, uh, I, like everyone else, sitting at home and unable to be in touch with mates and work colleagues and be out at the footy, um, it was getting pretty tough. But as uh, South Australia has done an amazing job and the last couple of days hearing uh, a couple of days in a row of no further additional cases reported, uh, it can't help but uh, increase your spirit, increase your hope. And um, over the last few weeks, I've been feeling a lot more hopeful and uh, we're actually sitting at Sandful uh, or sitting at home and, mm-hmm. and over Zoom and what have you, you know, working through what does re- return to play look like? What could what could the different scenarios be? Uh, what, one of the factors about that is getting the players on board. Are you heartened by the words emanating out of your players from all 10 teams that a lot of them are be very happy to play for nothing? Yeah, I, I am. And uh, 
that came as part of discussions with uh, with captains and coaches that um, they, like any other footballer or sports person in South Australia, Australia, across the globe, they simply want to get out and play. And why? Because they love the camaraderie. They love being out on the ground, the competitive spirit, the drive which it gives you internally to be able to go and be your best and it has shown why Sandful footballs, footballers play football. Some people talk about the football, uh, the money in sport. Quite clearly, when players just want to go out and, and play, it's because they want to be at their absolute best and they want to compete and they want to be around their mates and they love their club and they want to represent their club. And that's the same right across football, no matter what level you go to. And that's been the, the best thing about it is just that reminder of why people play footy. You're a club person you've been a lover of this competition for a long time is the priority to get all eight of our traditional sandful clubs if you like through to the end of the year and beyond yeah the first priority number one priority is to be safe and healthy and well um mm. so number one we have to make sure that we uh, are adhering to all the guidance of government and the health authorities uh, to ensure that we're putting no person across South Australia at any further risk to what they already were. With that then, we turn our mind to getting all eight clubs through football, uh, through to playing football again. Mm. And I've, I've said a number of times, every football club in South Australia is important at the other side of this because of what football clubs do and sporting clubs do for the community that are within them. And um, when we think about uh, our footy clubs, it's not just the players, it's not just the talent pathways that they foster, it's not uh, just the coaches, um, it's also all of the fans and members that feel so connected through their football club. So that, that's why it's critically important for us to get all eight through. It has formed a key priority and it will be a priority when we come back to play. We won't be able to come back to play in a manner which is uh, able to be healthy but uneconomic and going to put a club under. So we need to make sure that both are balanced off. First and foremost, though, we need to be able to come back to play healthily and um, we're not at that point yet. Mm-hmm. Um, Lee Matthews has uh, made some comments this morning about what AFL football should look like. What traditionally happens is that the state leagues take a little bit of responsibility in uh, trialling those sorts of rules, and the Sandville has been extremely good with that. Can you see that as potentially being part of your charter over the course of the next four or five months? Uh, I, I haven't heard those comments. Um, so, so he's uh, – and I'll, I'll just jump in and just give you a bit of an explanation. A lot of the stuff yeah. he's talking about is reduction to uh, salary cap and soft cap for football department spending, but also some issues like 16 uh, players per team, which would therefore allow the AFL to reduce some lists. So uh, generally what happens with these sorts of rule changes is they get trialled through the state leagues first. So I just wonder whether that's anything that's on your radar at the moment. Yeah, Um well, firstly, it hasn't been my experience that um, rules have been trialled through state leagues, certainly not through Sample. Uh, the, the, if you were to think about the third man up rule uh, in the ruck for AFL, that was something that was being done at an AFL level but not being done anywhere else. Um, they blow time off differently to pretty much every other 
league insofar as they blow time off when the ball goes out of play. At Sample, we don't blow time off when the ball goes out of play. We blow time off when the ball goes over the fence. So right. there, there are some, some differences across um, AFL to Sample. We have done some things which were different, such as the last possession out of bounds, which is the most obvious. Now, that was because Sample was the uh, highest stoppage, lowest scoring competition in Australia when we looked at the, the champion data. And uh, we know that people wanted to be able to see an attractive game of football and made the changes which we made, which was to uh, reduce the rotations cap, uh, but then also the last possession out of bounds, which has then seen Sample go to be the um, lowest stoppage, highest scoring (laughs) competition that Champion Data look at across the country. So um, we did that out of uh, improving Sample footy. And then uh, along the way, that has proved interesting to the AFL. Uh, as we go through and look at the way that we come out of um, uh, the COVID-19, look, I, I think rule changes um, from a sample point of view are very, very unlikely uh, insofar as we're going to come back to play really quickly and to educate people on a new way to play just quite simply is not possible. Uh, and the AFL would be looking at some of those changes um, when they're thinking about playing games in short with a short break, which clearly when you've got players playing on a weekend because they're, uh, they've got full-time jobs, that, that's not an option for Sample. So I don't see us changing anything from the structure of our game and, and from uh, a, a rules point of view. Um, it would be interesting to see what the AFL do. But I think, again, for them as well, it would be very difficult to make changes to rules because players at the moment are sitting at home and are not in contact with the club on a regular basis to be able to deal with rule changes. Uh, therefore, Jake, as, as a league that I really believe has a very solid infrastructure with regard to managing the health of players, do you see Sample as a league that could potentially be uh, encouraged to be the first to go? So even ahead of AFL football and ahead of community club football, that you could be in the best place position as a state league competition to perhaps lead the way with a contact sport? We will need to operate within the regulations that are here in South Australia. So that could well be that uh, Sample competition is one of, if not the first state league to go back and start playing, and that's all dependent upon what's safe to do in the area in which you're playing. If, for example, but if you think about the different levels of footy, AFL footy, state league footy, uh, community footy, AFL, those players... The, 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 the club have a, a lot of uh, control over where those players are and how they, those players deal with the community at large because that's their job. State league, well, that's not the case. Um, the, our players are in the, in the broader community. They're out on building sites and what have you and, and contributing to society through their work. And um, that will make uh, return to play a little more complex, for example. And then if you think about 250 uh, clubs in community footy and uh, – 54,000 registered players, that's an even bigger challenge again. So um, return to play looks different at different levels. Uh, That said, it certainly looks like uh, South Australia uh, has done a a great job and it it could well be that um, Sandville is able to come back to play before um, other other state leagues and it's something that we're planning for right at the moment. How late can you run, Jake? Because a couple of your clubs share facilities with cricket clubs probably means that you may 
not have quite the flexibility that, say, the AFL does. How deep can you go into a year before you really need to play some finals? Yeah, we can go quite late into the year. Um, it, there's a couple of things that come to play. As you rightly point out, there, there's firstly the availability of grounds. Uh, we're quite fortunate that we have four um, sample clubs which don't share their facilities with cricket. Uh, the other, the, the um, Then we have four that do. So that would have an impact on where you could play games. But our, our return to play may not be at all eight grounds from round one anyway. Mm. Uh, it may well be that we return to play at one particular ground where we can have some control over um, the, the environment in which we're playing. The challenge comes with where do you train? Mm. And uh, we would have to be uh, understanding that the as we come back to play, it's not going to be the same as when we stopped playing. And we may need to see uh, clubs sharing grounds, sharing facilities, uh, and then perhaps playing all of their games at, at one particular oval, as an example. But again, I don't know whether that's safe to do. So um, we'll have to, there's some of the things, the thoughts we've got going through our mind at the moment. But at least we do have those four clubs, uh, Thurman and Oval. Um, as well, in addition, where we could uh, we could have a facility available to football once we're into cricket season. We could even see for the first time a grand final somewhere other than Adelaide Oval or Football Park. Is that a possibility? Yeah, it is. Yeah, the, if um, if we wanted to be able to get in and play a season and play a season quite late, it could well be that we need to play a grand final at uh, at a ground other than those two. Obvious. Um, you know, Adelaide Oval would be our first preference, but uh, if we were unable to get onto Adelaide Oval, then uh, yeah, we'd need to consider one of the uh, suburban grounds and play play the grand final at a neutral venue. Have you gone so far as to think as whether that would be a top ranked team or a neutral venue? We're considering both of those. Um, given that the the grand final has always been at a neutral venue, that it, that that's probably been more the leaning, um, but. Um, we haven't yet reached any of those decisions. Uh, first and foremost, we need to be able to get back to play and know that we can come back to play, uh, and then we'll work our way through some of those things. You know, people like me, Jake, we always you know like to push to the end point before we've before <laughs> we've got to step one. We try and get to step twenty. Um, yes, I, I'm fascinated at how you've just assessed the morale of of people within the clubs. I mean, that's. That's essentially what this podcast is about, and I know it's a a very large focus of uh, your role and responsibility, and that's the people, the people that you've worked with and the people in the clubs that you've worked with as well. How have you felt the morale and the sense of uh, just just that that sense of hope, that sense of despair? How have you been able to, uh, I guess, sense all of that? It's it's been very difficult for lots of people, and – uh, I think everyone, and that's a big call, uh, I think everyone has felt a sense of loss. So there was hopes for the season ahead, um, the pre-season which had been done, um, whether that's at under-12s at Goody Saints or whether that's the league side at Glenelg. Everyone had worked towards the season they had ahead of them. You know, They could see who was in the side, they had the coach. Hope is always... Um, so high at the beginning of any season and aspiration and that disappeared for everyone. 
And so then there was a sense of loss. And if you think about some of the summer sports, there were teams that had gotten themselves into finals to then not get the the experience of playing the grand final, which they'd worked so hard for over many years. So I think that that sense of loss was the first part. Over time, as people understood the severity of what was going on across the world, it just beca- that became less significant. And um, a focus then turned to everyone else. And that's, I think, one of the silver linings in this very dark cloud has been how people's mindset has turned to those around them and care for those around them. And um, that's what this podcast is about. It's what clubs are about. Um, it's about the, the, the greater good rather than necessarily that of the individual. And that greater good I've seen abound. And then as, as we now turn to hope to be able to come back, it's a hope to be able to come back and be with our friends and our family and the people around us and the, the footy community uh, and, and get on the ground. Um, so that I've seen that, that change toward a real people focus away from, you know, what was being missed out on the ground. And that's, I think, um, been my observation anyway along the way. The history of Sanford suggests there's always been great rivalries between clubs and some of that's emanated through to boardrooms and there's been spats and all of those sorts of things. Have you seen some real sense of clubs working together for the greater good, perhaps some uh, ingenuity, some real desire to perhaps collaborate that maybe you haven't experienced before? Yeah, Ben, I think this has been spoken of quite broadly. Um, The way in which the Sandville clubs, and I'm sure this has happened right across football, uh, where there's that genuine concern for everyone else. And at Sandville club level, what that's meant is a, a daily hook up on, on Zoom to discuss what's going on and readily share uh, either issues uh, to get advice on from uh, from other CEOs or from Sample or um, a key success and learning for other clubs to be able to go away and, uh, and run with. Now, that's had two things. Firstly, um, the clubs have been uh, better served with greater insight and it has also helped Sample make better decisions along the way. And, uh, you know, some of the changes that, that have been discussed would normally take years to be able to work our way through that really they're being, they're being changed within a week because people have got a view on the greater good and, and uh, some of those smaller issues have just uh, disappeared. Now some of those smaller issues have been, you know, what might have happened in uh, on the ground in 1984, um, <laughs> all, all of that sort of been washed away as the greater good's been thought about, and that's been really heartening. And um, uh, it's given me a real enthusiasm to keep driving towards getting uh, footy off and away for as many people as possible. I know your focus is obviously on the ten teams that make up the Sandful League competition, but Sandful is so much broader than that. You must have a special sense of. Sympathy, I guess, for the Western Districts Football Club that went through the horror of the Kangaroo Island bushfires uh, around the Christmas period. Finally, they get to a situation where with temporary facilities, they're going to be able to play some football and then this happens. Just 
take us through a little bit about your experience of dealing with the Western Districts Football Club. We'll be catching up with Greg Bald from uh, Western District Sports Club very shortly, but that's been oh, just – you couldn't wish anything upon anyone, no matter how much you liked or disliked a club. It's been quite remarkable what they've had to endure. Uh, I, I, well, that'll be a good catch-up with Baldy. He's a very good man. Um, this has been a concern of mine, a concern of mine for Kangaroo Island and anyone else through Adelaide Hills – uh, throughout the bushfires, and, and there have been disasters across South Australia for many, many years. When the focus is on them and um, you're able to rally the support of the community whilst they're in the news cycle, that's a really important time because, you know, the South Australian community come together and help out those that are impacted, in this case, Kangaroo Island. And then the world keeps turning and people start to move on. And those people who have been impacted, when you think about the people around Western districts, their houses still are yet to be rebuilt. They're still in clean-up mode. Uh, you know, there's still people who are having to reside in uh, caravans out the back looking at their burnt possessions. And uh, it's been critically important that we maintain uh, a level of focus on those people and their recovery efforts been impacted heavily by COVID-19. You think about Blaze Aid and all those people that were helping them out. They can no longer be there, leaving the community to fend for themselves to some degree. And um, I, I was just so happy to be able to have the announcement of the funding to be able to help uh, Western District Sports Club rebuild their facilities um, for their footy, their cricket, their netball, tennis, uh, that's all there at the One Oval and all that community come together there. So it was so important to have some good news for them. At the same time, um, the people, the volunteers that are bringing that, that, that project together, they're also still cleaning up their houses and their, and their friends' houses. And, um, yeah, I, I, I really do have a concern and an ongoing concern for that community and Sanford will be there. We were there helping that, that football competition in the preceding years and we'll be there for the, the upcoming years to make sure that they're a success in the future. I'm sure you're desperate to see Norwood running out against Glenelg or Sturt against West Adelaide. I know that's uh, critically important, but what would it mean to you when you see the Saints running out on Western Districts Oval from uh, be, those new uh, rooms? Yeah, it'll just be simple. It'll be very special, won't it? And um, when yeah, and right across the island, uh, it'll be so important to get people right across the island back playing footy. And I think that's something that's been lost as well. Is um, the AFL through their fundraising, uh, their their funding didn't just go to a facility at uh, Kangaroo Island. It also went to remediation works on all of the football ovals, which um, were uh, you know whether they were used for, for storage or for trucks or what have you. Uh, and then also there's some funding there to be able to help administrators get the league back up and running because the volunteer time hours are so so challenged. And then also some funding to be able to get those talented kids over to South Adelaide and, and keep them with a, uh, a career path towards their dreams. So um, I really look forward to, to uh, seeing that first game on uh, Western Districts Oval. Jake, you're always so generous with your time. Um, I, I know you well enough to know how much uh, club and community sport and community spirit means to you. We really appreciate your time uh, here with us on Hooked on Sport. Uh, look, I appreciate the call and uh, to everyone out there who is working their way through this um, 
sport will be so important to the return to normality. Uh, and I, I like everyone. I just can't wait to get back out there and see kids and adults running around and having fun out on sporting fields. It'll be so much, uh, so, be so good. Jake, keep up the great work. Thank you. Hi, I'm Dominic Torno, and you're listening to Hooked On Sport. So with everything the Sandful has dealt with across the last four months, it's great to hear the optimism in Jake's voice. If we are able to return to contact sport, the Sandful is well-placed to hit the green light on its opening round. And as Jake said, the league, together with SACA and the SA government, is funding a project to support the rebuild of the Western Districts Football Club, which was raised during the Kangaroo Island bushfires across the Christmas period. The president of the Western District Sports Club, Greg Bald, joins me next. Let's take a short break to hear from John Mannion at the Breakthrough Mental Health Research Foundation. It's important to take care of ourselves, to take time out and actually explore our feelings, to build in regular breaks, to go for a walk, practice relaxation, eat regularly, try and build up a regular sleep pattern and a routine, and try and reduce our alcohol consumption, but make sure we maintain our hydration. Be kind to ourselves and to others. And now back to the show. Greg Bold, welcome to Hooked on Sport. Yeah, how you going, Ben? Greg, thank you for joining us. Just tell us, four months on from those horrendous bushfires, how is the community dealing with it? Um, the community's going okay. Uh, still a lot of work being done. Uh, a lot of uh, our members were affected by the fire, so they're all busy refencing their properties. And, you know, obviously a lot of them have lost their houses as well, so they're all displaced and um, living in um, other people's places that they've been kindly enough to donate, you know, so they got a roof over their head. Before the fire, what did the sports club mean to the community? You know, um, we actually, you know, it's our place for gathering and, you know, having a drink and having a laugh and just being able to relax and and it brings the community together and, um, you know, as people love their sport, so they love their sports clubs. What about the, the destruction? I mean, it just must have been so devastating for all of the people around the place. Yeah, well, as I said, a lot of our members, uh, we've worked out possibly about 80% of our members were affected by the fire. And, you know, a lot of these people just lost everything, their farm, their house, you know, their belongings. um, You know, know, the people were still fighting the fires, even though they'd lost everything, um, because it was a battle from basically about the 20th of December when the first fire started to getting close to probably the 20th of January before things settled down. What What about the fact that now we're not playing any football? Has that sort of exacerbated the challenges that you as a community has faced? Yeah, so it has a bit. Obviously, we'd lost our main clubhouse and um, we were trying to regroup and, and get a few temporary, you know, shower and toilet blocks to get the season you know, to be able to function during the season. Um, but, you know, with the virus that came in, well, that's 
slowed everything down and it's really hard to you know have meetings and and keep the ball rolling with the with the rebuild which is a massive task at the moment just tell us under normal circumstances uh, how many football teams senior and junior and how many netball and cricket teams uh, cricket obviously in the summer Yep, obviously we have cricket, juniors and seniors. Um, then there's a tennis, which have mainly been affected. Obviously, everything's shut down. Um, and then there's netball. So there's uh, four to five senior netball teams and about four junior netball teams. And then the football have uh, A-grade reserves, uh, juniors, and then under-12s. And there's also Auskick in there as well. What's the plan forward from here? Because you've got the double battle at the moment, lost the club rooms, and it's very, very difficult to coordinate people together at the moment because of the COVID-19 situation. What is the what, what are your hopes maybe by the end of the year, even towards next year? And I know you're going to get some support from both the SA Cricket Association and uh, the South Australian National Football League. But where do you hope to be perhaps by the end of this year? Um, well, obviously we've, We've been donated a building, like, it's called temporary, but it's a fair, um, it was just to get us up and running. So hopefully about August, September, we should have a facility that will cater with some change rooms, a social room, and, you know, basically, um, you know, showers and toilets, and then, you know, we can be up and running with a facility by hopefully September. I'm just looking at a photo of uh, the damage that was done. I can see the club room in a bit of a state of disrepair and just charred, charred everywhere around the, the actual sports oval. What's the scene like now, Greg? What does it look like? Similar or is it starting to – we're seeing a few signs of regrowth, if you like. Yeah, there's definitely been a bit of regrowth. Um, obviously, things are still very black and not all the bushes are actually recovering at the moment, but – Obviously, cleaning up the the building, which you know was a massive task, um, it definitely looks a lot better once all the the charred mess and the and that sort of gone. And obviously, people's houses are being cleaned up at the moment. Um, a lot of them have been done, but you know that was a, definitely a, a mental thing for people to be driving past their burnt down places. So, and once. Once it's cleaned up, then people can sort of look forward to rebuilding. So we'll get to a rebuild. What will it mean to the community? And I know you're going to get great support, as I said. I think a million dollars with support from uh, SACA and uh, Sandville and the state government. When you're back on your feet, what's it going to mean to you and what's it going to mean to the community? Oh, it's going to be huge because that's what we miss the most is, you know, being able to gather with our friends and, and play a bit of sport and, you know, we've We've been shown a, a lot of support, even from the other clubs on the island, and you know, community groups and stuff like that. And I, I get sort of mentioned that, you know, other clubs that you know generally arrivals, you know, they've sort of gone, oh, we're so sorry that you know we love coming out there and playing sport, and it's, you know, it's it's just a whole part of the island to have all our five teams up and running. Because you are sort of the outliers, aren't you? There's the four, the other four clubs, uh, well, Pandana sort of in the middle and then the other three more towards the eastern side of the island. But um, you really are the the, uh, the the team from the west, the uh, the outliers, if you like. 
Uh, we like to call it, you get with the best, you go west. So, <laughs> you know, that's the way we roll out there. It's great, though, that uh, the other clubs are really rallying around you and uh, and the Saints. Yeah, and the support, you know, Australia-wide. And, and you know, there's, as I said, there's, there's South Australian sporting clubs of, you know, a lot of them are chipping in and doing little fundraisers. And, and we've also had a lot of support from Tasmania. Actually had a phone call the other day from Groot Island in the Northern Territory. They've got together and raised some money for us. So it's quite amazing that so many people are thinking of our you know, little island. Uh, well, we are all thinking of you, and uh, it's been an absolute thrill, Greg, to have you here on Hooked on Sport. Yeah, no worries, and um, thanks for all the support. You're listening to the Hooked on Sport podcast, your virtual sports club. Well, thanks for tuning into this bonus episode of Hooked on Sport. As always, our heartfelt gratitude to Sport SA and the Breakthrough Mental Health Research Foundation who support this podcast. And a big thank you as well to all the individuals and local clubs and associations who are sharing the show with their own communities. We truly appreciate it. We're at Hooked on Sport on Facebook. Get in contact, say hi, and share with us what your club is up to so we can share it with everyone. Thank you to Ben Watson, who created and performed the musical intro to Hooked on Sport, and to the show's producer, Wallace Long. Well, that's it for this bonus episode. It's back to normal transmission from here. We'll see you soon at Hooked on Sport.